Welcome back to the Breakwater Podcast for episode three in our seven-episode series with Sandy. This episode is a bit different in that Sandy is not actually joining us. Instead, we have Lindsay Lowy, Substance Abuse and Mental Health Counselor with Collaborative Wellness, with us to talk about screen time and how the transition from limited or recommendations to limit screen time to a world in which school and socialization were near impossible without a screen has impacted all of us. We'd love to know what you think about this episode and the series. Feel free to leave a comment wherever you're listening, find us on social media at Breakwater Coalition, or email us at info at breakwaterwi.org. Lindsay is up next. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? Hi, good. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. Good. So you're joining us today as part of our series with Sandy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like that, a series with Sandy. I know, it's kind of a catchy little name, yes, isn't it? it is. Would you mind introducing yourself and sharing a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. So my name is Lindsay Lowy. I am a mental health and substance use counselor here at Collaborative Wellness. Um, I started out at Nova. Sandy was actually my supervisor. Oh, wow. Yes. So she was my supervisor when I was there. And um, after graduation, I went on to the county where I gained a lot of experience, a lot of information. I bet. Um, Kind of was thrown into a lot of different things. And I think that really set me up for the kind of work that we do today, which is a lot of trauma-informed care. Awesome. Well, we're happy to have you with us here today. And we're talking about screen time today, Mm -hmm. which I understand is kind of a special interest of yours. It is a special interest. And it's also, you know, one of those double edged swords, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's definitely a hot topic, right? Mm-hmm. And usually it's a debate about how much is too much mm-hmm. and maybe some judginess between parents yeah. about, oh, you're letting him have that at a restaurant or you let them watch shows at home or you're giving them your phone or your tablet kind of thing. Um, and it's it's hard to strike a balance between entertaining that toddler or that school-aged child or that teenager mm-hmm. And being able to get through your daily routine and function. And sometimes it's a necessary evil. Yes. Um, But I feel like it's been kind of a long debated topic about how much is too much and when and when not to and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I want to get into it a little bit before. So if we look at it from a pre-COVID standpoint. Yes. What were the recommendations for screen time and the reasoning behind those recommendations pre-COVID? Sure. So pre-COVID... And actually during COVID and post-COVID, really, I like to um, follow the recommendations of the American Pediatric Association. So two hours of screen time, which is not a lot. It's not. No. Um, And when they say two hours of screen time, you know, they, they have done, there's been so much research Um, within that pediatric community about the two hours and the screen time. And so when we think about two hours of screen time, we really want to try to stick to that. And um, that screen time is TV. 
It is computer. It is phone. It's tablet. It's anything literally that has a screen. So it's a debate, right? Yeah. Because even pre-COVID, we have a lot of education systems that use a lot of screen time, a lot of technology in the way that they teach. And so that two hours gets used up very, very quickly before the kids are even coming home. Absolutely. And so let's say there was a family who followed that two-hour recommendation, right? They had maybe a toddler, maybe a schoolager, and maybe a middle schooler. Yeah. And they followed that two-hour recommendation of screen time. Let's maybe ignore anything that would have happened during the school day for those kids that were out of the house. But at home, it was a limit of two hours, including weekends. But then COVID happens and virtual schooling happens. How did that shift maybe the screen time recommendations or what families were really able to do or how they found that balance with screen time? Sure. I think that um, we all as parents went into survival mode. You know, um, we did what we had to do and are still doing what we have to do. And it we can't really change the system, the big system of education. And so I think our mentality has maybe shifted from, okay, there's screen time when it comes to education. And then there's screen time when it comes to non-education. Yeah. And so I, I still feel like, and the recommendations that I'm aware of still are that two hours. I mean, that's not changing and that's based on brain development and it's based on crucial developmental windows during some of those really formative years. So our mentality outside of being a pediatrician, I think has shifted, but the recommendations I don't believe have shifted. And let's talk a little bit about the reasoning behind those recommendations. What are the impacts on development, social social, emotional, physical brain development behind those two hour recommendations? Sure. So, you know, it, it's hard because a lot of the research comes as children are getting older. And so a lot of the effects that we're seeing are sneaky. Sure. They're sneaky effects. And what's happening is we don't see the effects of screen time right away. So I think we become a little bit more lenient. And as a parent, I'm one of those. Yeah, definitely have become too lenient, (laughs) I think. Um, But the developmental windows, you know, crucial um, three key areas are infancy. Mm -hmm. And we are even bombarding our infants with overstimulation. This could be another hot topic <laughs> because even though we're not necessarily giving our infants screens, and I think back to even when my kids were babies, I would put them on a play mat where they'd stare up and see blinking lights and flashing, you know, things and sounds and they'd have crinkles that, you know, every part of their body and brain were being stimulated. Sure. And that's not good. Um, long term, there are some really great qualities to that, but what it also does is it overstimulates our nervous system. Okay. And if we look back to the core of that nervous system, we need to be bored. 
We need to be quiet. We need to rest. We need to, as infants, lay there with nothing, you know. And on the flip side, they are learning something as infants. They are learning to pay attention or to look over here. They are being stimulated. So everything, again, is about balance. And then when we get to toddler year, you know, that's another developmental window. And adolescence is probably one of the biggest developmental windows for our brain. And if we're constantly putting stimulation in front of our brain as it's developing, then that's what our brain is developing on. And we're becoming overstimulated. And our nervous system can't calm down because it has it is being told all the time, go, 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 go. And then as adults, we don't know how to just sit. Or as kids, we don't know how to be bored. Yeah. And so that's a really like kind of generalized example of how sneaky screens or overstimulation can be. Um, screen time is also really, and you can stop me at any point because otherwise I'm just going to get on my soapbox. Keep going. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Because, um, the other part of it is we know from research and CT scans and things like that, that the area of the brain where technology hits and activates is the center of our brain, the emotional part of our brain. Okay. Where does addiction lie? In the center. In the center, emotional part of the brain. And so we are activating that reward center. And while it doesn't necessarily feel like it, right, Mm -hmm. we are. And so we have more teenagers seeking other sort of stimulation for the reward because they've perhaps grown up with that screen time activating the reward center of the brain and eventually it you know it it's not enough yeah so we seek more as we get older and then that's where we get into some of the things like addiction or substance use things like that yeah and I'm glad you brought that up I don't think that I've ever really thought about it in that way before like I've thought about you know the addiction to Mm -hmm. social media Mm -hmm. or that kind of habit forming of every night I turn on the TV and I watch Netflix for six hours and then I get mad that I can't sleep and I think Mm -hmm. to myself I should read more and watch less TV but I'm always finding myself putting on the TV like I've thought about it in that context before um, but not necessarily about the way that it's impacting or the area of the brain that it's kind of lighting up and how that correlates with substance use but I'm glad you brought that up because of course at Breakwater we're focused on substance use and substance use prevention specifically in youth in youth Um, and so when we look at like social media and different apps come up a lot as a topic of conversation with parents, with educators, um, even with kids, whether it's TikTok videos kind of glorifying smoking marijuana or drinking or doing other drugs or kids buying and selling drugs on Snapchat, Mm -hmm. which is just bananas to me, um, or Instagram influencers, which are a real thing now that really does influence behavior of all ages, but in particular youth behavior. Um, What are some things that parents need to be aware of when it comes to social media apps and the amount of times their kids spend on them? So, you know, I'm going to always take it back to the brain. Yeah. Um, It's hard to argue with brain development, I think, and science and research that's out there. So 
what I mean by that is really in, instead of focusing so much on which apps, focus on the idea that a teenager's brain literally is half-baked. Okay. Um, so the way a teenager's brain develops or anybody's brain is up bottom up. So our brain stem to our frontal lobe by our forehead and back to front. And so the frontal lobe is kind of our adult brain, which we also call our thinking brain. Okay. That's the last to develop. Guess what age? I'm going to say 25 because Sandy told me the answer earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So right between 25 and 30, I'll, I'll take it a little bit older. So, um, which is a lot of times why people coming into their late 20s, early 30s have almost like these pseudo life crises. Yeah. Because okay. our frontal lobes are starting to close. They're starting to be fully formed. So if you think about that, even 25 to a 15, 14, 13 year old, that's like a 10, 11, 12 year difference. Yeah. Think of how premature the brain development is. So teenagers, especially um, middle schoolers, high schoolers, they, the part of their brain that is most developed are the survival okay, and the emotional. So again, we're back to that emotional brain, which is where our addictive tendencies that reward center lie. Yeah. So that's also why social media and these apps are so successful because it's very, very, very easy to tap into the reward center of a teenage brain. Yeah. That's what they've got. They don't have much of their frontal lobe that can tell them, shut it down, shut it off, walk away. So as a parent, focus less on the app and more on the time. Okay. That they're spending on these apps and where their brain is developed. Because you are the adult and you have the adult brain. You have the frontal lobe. And it's probably going to be one of the most difficult parts of your job to say, turn it off <laughs> or to block the app or to have downtime. But it's crucial because you have that part of your brain that is able to say, step away. Teenagers don't. Yeah. Do you have any recommendations or tips for people to try? Because I feel like even as an adult, there are times where I find myself powerless yeah, against yeah. this little device that's Me in my too, pocket, especially right? Especially in COVID. Yeah. So if, if as an adult, I have a hard time regulating my own behavior and use of this screen or this device, how do I help my middle schooler or teenager navigate that? You've got to do it together really model the behavior that you want to see. And so, you know, again, I'm totally guilty of this as well. And one of the things I've been trying to do is I leave my phone out in the kitchen and I set a different alarm clock. You know, I don't have it by my bed. So my kids don't get their media by their beds. Um, using, you know, using like the timer on the TV, you know, really sh have it shut off on its own. Yeah. And then you put the remote somewhere else. You kind of have to start tricking your brain into developing these newer, healthier, different habits. And then hold your kids accountable for the same. And you can even say, like, we're going to do this together because I totally admit as the adult that this is hard for me. And so I know it's hard for you, but we're going to do it together. 
Yeah. I really like that because that's one of the things you hear. Like I remember saying it when I was a teenager, I fully expect my kids to say it when they're teenagers uh-huh. is like, oh, you're a hypocrite. Uh-huh. You're telling me I can't do this, but you're over there doing it all the time. So I like that doing it together and working on it together because it is difficult. Well, and you know, think about it. So many phones, there are so many adult and parental control apps and, you know, iPhones, like you can set those limits set them. Yeah. Your kid is not going to be happy by any means, but that's where you have to trust that you have the frontal lobe of your brain. You are the adult and they're just going to have to be mad at you about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We went through that with our, our kids are four and five and they have the Kindle kids fire tablets with, and so we have it, they get like 30 minutes Mm -hmm. or sometimes an hour and then it shuts down on them and they used to get real mad at us for that and beg and beg and beg and do for they more still? time. Are they no, kind of over it? Now right. they're kind of over it. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, I remember having that discussion and going back and forth on, do we let them have tablets? Do we not let them have tablets? Because in a lot of ways, it's almost become a life skill to yes. know how to operate this technology. Yes. So yes. you don't want to not have, have them learn. Them. Exactly. But yeah, you don't want to like go too far the other way either. Exactly. Yeah. Earlier, Sandy and I had talked about perception of harm mm-hmm. and specifically the ability for middle schoolers, high schoolers to evaluate and perceive risk mm-hmm. and how they develop their perception of harm related to things like alcohol or marijuana. We kind of, we talked through a little bit about how in some ways, social media serves to reduce or or lead to a lower perception of harm of, you know, underage drinking, underage or youth substance use and, and marijuana and that kind of stuff. What role do you see social media playing in that? Well, a lot of roles. I think, um, you know, the influencers, the mm-hmm. social media influencers um, romanticize be risky behaviors, whether it be substances or suicidal thinking or self-harm. A lot of our teenagers and middle schoolers are learning self-harm from, f- from these media apps. Yeah. And um, again, they don't have that frontal lobe to be able to say, wait a second, this is risky, or wait a second, this really could be harmful. Um, or, oof, if I put this alcohol or this marijuana in my body, it's going to stunt my brain development. They don't know that. And so I think, you know, the apps are doing a great job of romanticizing the behaviors and then the influencers that our kids are looking up to, which are tend to be older. Yeah. But they see them almost as a peer. Like they can't separate you know, oh, this celebrity or this influencer is actually 20. Yeah. Not 14. They just see them as cool. Mm-hmm. And, and oh, they're doing something cool or they're having fun or they're making this really silly video and that's what I want to do too. So I, I think the, the media apps definitely have a major influence. Do you think that kids are almost getting a sense of rapport with some of these yes. influencers where they kind of then are mirroring them? Yes. And and kind of being able to separate um, that, you know, idolizing them or their behaviors from 
this influencer that this is kind of their job. Yeah. You know, it's, it's their job to like have these wild parties or do these great, these, you know, silly things or, um, you know, their job is to get likes or to get subscribers or to get followers. And it's a lot easier to get subscribers and followers if you're doing stupid stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, especially when you're dealing with a middle school or high school brain, (laughs) because it's funny, it taps into that reward system. And again, they can't understand the perception of risk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. And and like you said, you know, they may be 14, this influencer is 20, but they don't necessarily connect those dots in terms of age difference. I was just saying to a friend the other day that, you know, I meet somebody, whether it's at work or socially or whatever, and I just assume that everybody is about the same age right. as me until I am told or I find out differently. And yes. then I'm either like, wow, that's way younger than I thought or way older than I thought, right. you know? Um, so it's funny to to hear you kind of say that and put that into the perspective of a middle schooler, a 14 year old kind of going through social media and seeing the influencers and, or just general people on those apps. Well, and on a really small scale, think about it. I mean, I'm sure you've seen a 12 or 13 year old mm-hmm. and you're like, whoa, is that how they're dressing now? Because they look like they're 18. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's that same thing. I just want to look like that and be like that or act like that. So this is maybe how I'll do it without really understanding the age appropriateness. Yeah. You know, um, adolescence is so hard because they're caught in between this. I have some adult skills that I want to keep using and my brain is telling me I need to grow some of these adult skills, right? Like being responsible and accountable and reliable, but I'm also still a little kid. Yeah. It's a really hard window of life for them. And, and also their social circle is the greatest influence and the most important it should be. Um, and so helping your child understand, you know, like our parents used to say to us, surround yourself with the people you want to be like. Yeah. Right. So if you want to be a really good person that's making healthy choices, even if they're the dorks, surround yourself with the people making healthy choices and that will continue to be you. We see sometimes and we hear sometimes and you know through studies you kind of see that drop off from middle school to high school where middle school kids still listen to their parents they're still influenced by their parents teachers and then sometime between middle school and high school it shifts over to friends yes and social media being kind of the big sources of influence so as a parent knowing that how do I set my child up for success in terms of keeping that communication and that bond open and helping them make those healthy decisions. Yeah. So if you're not a parent yet, it starts at birth, you know, um, teaching your children about open communication and healthy communication starts from day one. Life sometimes has other plans. And so, you know, that doesn't always happen. Having transparent communication at the middle school and the high school level is 
just as important. So if your family has never really been transparent in their communication, maybe you sit down with your teenager and you're like, all right, we are going to try something new. We are going to work really hard on just being open with each other. And if you feel like you can't be open with me as your parent, who could you be open with? Because these conversations are really important and you're going through a lot of changes developmentally, emotionally, physically, socially. There's like this storm. And if it's not me that you can be open with, I'm, I'm going to accept that and say that that's okay. Yeah. But I do want you to have somebody that you can go to. And even if it's, even if it's a journal, mm-hmm. um, even if it's, hey, you need time by yourself, that's all right. I just want to make sure that we have kind of, you know, an openness to our relationship. Yeah. You know, and we talk a lot about the importance of of talking to your kids about drugs, about alcohol, but really it's about any of those things that kind of come along with adolescence, right? And the Wisconsin DHS has a small talks campaign out there that's really, it's kind of aimed at underage drinking, but I think it's applicable across the board as well of have those early, casual, frequent conversations with your kids about Mm -hmm. hard things. And you don't have to have a big, intimidating, uncomfortable conversation. But just while you're going for a walk around the block, while you're doing the dishes, driving down the road in your car, have a quick mm-hmm. conversation about something and, Agreed. you know, ask how, how are you feeling about this? What do you know? What do you see kind of thing? Mm-hmm. In your experience as a substance use and mental health counselor, do you have any tips for parents on when to start talking to your kids or maybe how to initiate some of those conversations? Um, one of my favorite lines is, I don't know what you mean by that. so when your child says when you're like hey how was your day and you're just trying to have an open discussion and they're like good I don't know what you mean by that (laughs) or like um how did you do on your math test fine I'm not sure what you mean by that okay so you know in in therapy it's open-ended questions asking open-ended questions and really training yourself and then practicing it with your kids to have these open-ended conversations and questions, even if it's, hey, you ask me anything. Um, One of my other favorites is kind of like um, a, a trivia game. So, you know, if you're in the car together, then the trivia is about you. So it's like, hey, what's my favorite ice cream? And so you're opening these windows for conversations, no matter how small and no matter how big. And you're teaching your child and yourself how to initiate different types of conversations. Because that's the other thing, going back to the screens, we're, we're no longer very good at having conversation. We don't know how to. We're like losing that art. Yeah. And um, now I will also say, if you as a parent are like, I just, my kid just won't open up. I would say, you know, maybe encourage them to open up in a different way. There are lots of um, great things that have come out of COVID, like better, is it better help? Yeah. Talk space. Yeah. So these are apps that are specifically designed to be texting type counseling, which is great. 
You know, if you can't, if you, if your kid can't get in to see a counselor or, um, they're not comfortable speaking face to face, try to connect with them on their level. So sometimes, um, we'll have parents come in and kids come in and I'll say, get out your phones and they'll both get out their phones and I'll say, now text your question to your mom interesting, or your dad or, you know, your sibling and start to start to open those conversations in a less vulnerable manner so that you can build up to the vulnerable stuff. I really like that. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we've talked about in the past where like the, there's almost this perceived anonymity behind a screen, right? Or the keyboard warriors where they get a little brazen and you have the online bullying, but that's really flipping it on its side and saying, take advantage of that kind of feeling of protection and really use it to your advantage and use it to open up the doors and increase those lines of communications and vulnerability. That's really cool. Yeah. Going back to earlier, you said pay more attention to the time than the specifics of what they're doing with that time. Um, but I would say when it comes to apps, when it comes to apps, so not necessarily which app, but how much time time. And I mean, be aware of the apps. Absolutely. And, you know, do your research and get to know every parent is different. So, um, I, as a parent am a hundred percent, not comfortable with TikTok. I, I, you know, I see my nieces and nephews and, you know, other friends and teenagers. And I think, when it's used appropriately, it's really fun. Yeah. And, you know, but I'm just not comfortable with it. So that's like a huge no in my house. Um, Snapchat is another one I'm just not comfortable with. So other parents are, though, with yeah. different things. So I would say as a parent, do your homework. Get to know the apps. Get to know the positives about them, the negatives about them. And then kind of be aware of if there are any warning signs or red flags that your kid might be getting into a tricky spot. And I think, too, any device, as a parent, you absolutely have every right <laughs> to monitor yeah, that screen. Um, I have a lot of teenage clients that are like, that's my private space. You aren't going on it. Well, you know, you might be 18, but you're still living under their roof and you're still their responsibility for safety. Yeah. So that's kind of the card as a parent that you have to play or hold, you know, hold the line to and know that your child might be mad at you. But that's also okay. Like, if your kid is mad at you, then you're doing your job right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's hard to balance as a parent, right? Like, it's never, it's not a good feeling when your kid is mad at you. It's not a good feeling when they say mean, awful things to you out of anger or frustration. But that's, that's the role of a parent. Yes, it is. Because again, what part of our brain do we have that they don't? The frontal lobe. The frontal lobe. We have our thinking brain, which is judgment, you know, healthy decision, reasoning, things like that. Yeah. So you also have a podcast. Is that right? Yeah. Tell us about that. Well, she's not going so great right now. No. No, I mean, it's fine. I just, um, I love doing this stuff. I love sharing information. I feel like... 
if I know this stuff and I research this stuff, why keep it to myself? Yeah. You know, if I have questions about things or I'm interested in things, I'm going to go to somebody that's studying it or looking at it, you know, so why not just be a conduit? Yeah. Um, for information and to learn about things. And, um, March was a hard month. March was really hard. It was really heavy. So I, I didn't, put anything out in March, but, um, our team here at collaborative wellness is like, okay, we have stuff we want to say. And so they're all doing a great job of sending me their podcasts and their topics of interest. Cause we all have different topics yeah. that we're interested in. And so we're going to be like, I'm going to be pushing that out. Awesome. Too. Awesome. And what's it called? 20 minute touch points. 20 minute touch points. Yeah. So it's literally, we try to keep 20 minutes, you know, um, just real quick. And we touch on different things related to mental health and wellness. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I sure enjoyed talking to you today. Thank you. And I thank you for sharing all the information and knowledge you have about screen time and its impact on not only our kids' brains, but our brains yes. and daily lives. Yes. And we will be sure to link the 20-minute touch points in our show notes as well. Thank you. And hey, all the parents out there, I, <laughs> I feel you. You know, and the teenagers too, it's so hard. Everybody is literally doing what they can with what they have, especially right now. Um, so the, the biggest thing is take care of yourselves and make sure that you're setting healthy boundaries, no matter what that looks like.